Welcome back with another episode of Talking Insights. We are still in Singapore for day two of our event, the Art and Science of Innovation. And we have more guests coming to the podcast. Thanks for, thanks for joining. Uh, would you like to introduce yourself? Thank you. I'm Karlene Krichler. I'm co-founder of Hello Aura. Uh, Charlene from Sale. I'm head of customer at Woolworths, one of the clients of Hello Aura. And I'm David Wright from Hello Aura. So before recording, we are talking about Metaverse. Our oh, Metaverse is still relevant and still um, a good opportunity to, to enhance research and to discover new ways of research, new ways of uncovering uh, human behavior. Can you give us some, some ideas of how uh, Metaverse can still be relevant for researchers today? Okay, I'll start and then I think I'll hand over to you just now. Um, I think our the problem with the Metaverse has been that um, it has to have a purpose, right, for people to go somewhere and do something. If you just create an environment but there's no one there and there's nothing to do, no one is going to go there, even in real life, right? So there has to be a purpose um, and a quest almost to make it to make it real and valid. So I think for the metaverse, there are lots of use cases, you know, all around the world of how it's used for training purposes or specific industries in terms of manufacturing. And we found that um, we've been busy for the last year um, doing experiments, but then um, building our own metaverse environment. Um, and then since then, we've done dozens of groups in the metaverse. Um, and so we use it as a qualitative space. Um, I think what's amazing is that you can create contextual experiences. Uh, we find that people are much more engaged when they are in that space. Um, so at the moment, we are doing it um, on laptops. We're not actually using the VR devices because it's prohibitive in terms of access. Um, so I think we like to liken it to gaming, right? Gaming, everybody is gaming on a laptop. Um, and it, it can be extremely immersive, right? So we are doing our metaverse, uh, core research using laptops. Um, and, uh, there's so many use cases. I mean, I don't know if you want to pick up from here. Yeah, I think traditional research, especially qualitative, it creates a very artificial environment. You take people out of their comfort zone. You put them in a fishbowl. They know they're in a fishbowl. There's a lot of inherent bias. You don't have a certain level of participation. And what you'll find in the metaverse, it solves for a couple of things. So mm -hmm. first off, people are engaging because the environment's interesting. They're looking at the environment. They have an avatar that they can talk through. So it's safe. It's safe. It's comfortable. They're in their homes. They're in their environment. So they're relaxed and they can talk about their normal behavior. And then what Colleen was saying about it being contextual you can put anything in there. So if you want to test a new ad, you literally bring them into an amphitheater type environment, you show the screening of the ad. Very different than some traditional methods where they'll disconnect. So they can watch, they can interact with one another, they can ladder off one another. Um, one of a, a, probably a better application in terms of contextual is you can create a replica of a store environment. So store research or store format research has always been quite problematic because it's very expensive to create these test environments. You can create a replica in a metaverse environment, see how customers would want to interact, what are they drawn to, how do they move, where should you place different products in terms of where your eye is drawn, and you can potentially test five, six, seven different formats with a different rotation to really understand how best to design your layout before you actually incur the cost to do it. In your experience, are uh, people pretending to be someone else in the metaverse? <laughs> how accurate uh, 
occurred that occurs the representation of what they truly like, what they truly, what they truly are. Do you know what the interesting thing is? And I know it's this whole avatar world mm-hmm. of gaming, right? And people pretend and they go mm-hmm. into a fantasy world. I think the interesting thing is when you recruit someone for research, they know that they are coming for that purpose. And when they choose their, you know, their persona, it's quite limited in terms of what they can choose from. And people don't go in that I'm now living another reality because it's not a fantastical world, right? It's just choosing a representation that they can talk through. And because people are using their own microphone on their PC, they just talk like they normally would. So it's not so much them being a different representation of themselves. It's just being able to talk through something. And I'll give you a very practical example. So what was presented on this conference is research on beauty in the metaverse space. Now, if you're someone who's got skin blemishes, you've got concerns, putting that person into a traditional focus group environment with people looking at them, Mm -hmm. they're not going to feel comfortable talking about their blemishes and their skin concerns. Put them through just a, an avatar and an environment, very comfortable talking through that because you're not in a fishbowl. So, yeah. I think we have a few respondent stories. So in, in some of the groups we do, we sometimes will tell them as part of the warm-up, um, if you want, change your avatar to depict your mood today. Mm-hmm. And in the same session, we had two uh, two women who were, they were just so forthcoming. Um, the one put a hat on and she was saying, hello, my name is X and I'm wearing a hat today because I'm feeling vulnerable and it's sort of that the hat is protecting mm-hmm. me. So just the fact that she could tell that story meant to me that she was very comfortable. And it was really nice to see the reaction of the group. They were all sort of rallying around her and being supportive and giving her a chance to talk. And at the end, they were asking her, how are you feeling now? So I think actually something um, interesting and intimate happens where people are more themselves because you're not staring at a stranger, right? You have a common goal. You're looking at the same thing. You are meeting in a space where you're having a nice experience and people seem to open up. I don't know if you have anything to add to that, David. Um, no. Well, I mean, like, I mean, I guess I come from more of a technical look at the metaverse and, like, like, um, like practically what's happening has just made development a lot cheaper since there's been so much money invested in it. Um, but on the emotion and whether someone's real or not, I mean, a lot of young people and, and gamers, they put a lot of effort into the avatar, the gaming avatars. So actually find, I think there was some research for about 50% of people, I can't remember, was in the gamers in the US associate, their gamer profile is just being as real as their normal life profile. So I think there's like strange things can happen with digital avatars. Um, but I think overall, I think it's the, the, co- you know, the, the main benefit of these environments is the, is the cost for creation and it's going to get endlessly cheaper because I think maybe Microsoft just launched too soon before. I think if they had known generative AI was going to be a thing, they would have probably waited and incorporated it because, you know, creating 3D objects and and rooms and things like that is very difficult. Whereas generative AI has made it simple and there's startups now where you can put a prompt and it'll create you a 3D world. So I think the costs are coming down. Um, So I think, you know, market research, there's been a lot of VR for years but it's just been way too expensive and cumbersome and clunky so um but anyway that's just sort of my view yeah my curiosity is how do you make sure that research in the metaverse remain representative 
because I am assuming that in order to access the metaverse, you will need certain equipment. You, of course, you need a high-speed internet connection, you need some IT equipment, laptop, for example, um, mm -hmm. and probably also you need to fit a certain demographic, probably younger than, than other respondents, right? Is this an issue? No, it's not <laughs> I think um, I think the perception is that it, it has to be younger, but even older people have laptops, right? Mm -hmm. So I think Especially. the association with gaming is like, oh, it must be. Um, the platform we use is very simple to use. We've had groups with people that are over 50. We, have, mm -hmm. we don't just do group with younger people. Uh, we have a process in place where we make them feel comfortable and um, we show them how to how to move. We give instructions up front when we recruit to make sure that they know mm -hmm. what to expect. They know they're going into a metaverse group. We tell them it's going to be easy and we'll help them. And we have a period of about 10 minutes which we build into our uh, groups where, where they get a chance to learn how to move. We do sound check, et cetera. Um, and then in terms of uh, they can choose their avatar or just uh, have the one that remains, there is a functionality where you can put camera on mm -hmm. so you could check if you needed to see who the person is. But generally, once the group starts, we put that off to make everyone comfortable. Yeah, so I don't think it's an issue. Mm -hmm. And that's also why we do it laptop. I think if, if you use VR goggles, then then you have an issue of representation. Also remember, COVID changed the world for all ages. People are used to laptops, tablets, phones, talking to people on camera, you know, Microsoft Teams, Zoom. So all ages had to engage and they had to learn to embrace digital to some extent. And in a way, I mean, Pukalin talking about you can put that camera on. We're quite strict from the client side in terms of the criteria that we want in terms of the recruitment. So we have the representation and the sample. Now, if you recruit normally, you can obviously visually see them in a, in a call group, but you ask them to put their cameras on at the beginning, not for everybody else to see them, but for you to verify, mm -hmm. you can do that. So it's no issue. You actually get better representation because typically in an eight, six to eight person focus group, one or two people do all the talking. Mm. Um, so you don't really get great results because it'll often be the dominant voice in the room. Mm -hmm. But the way that you can construct your metaverse groups is everyone participates actually sometimes you've got the reverse problem that everyone wants to talk because mm. they're so engaged that they're talking over each mm. other mm. so it actually gets you it gives you the converse it gives you a better representation than you get in traditional why mm. do you think is that it's easier to express yourself when you're in a virtual environment yes. compared to a physical yes. environment that but also not looking at strangers i mean yeah. if we've never met and now you know, maybe we connect, maybe we don't, but you're not going to connect with everyone in a room immediately. You're not going to like everyone. Mm -hmm. Someone is shy, another one is dominant, this one's feeling vulnerable. So, you know, I think in this space, people are at ease. You're not constantly staring mm -hmm. at a stranger or at yourself on a camera. I remember um, time and accessibility as well. So someone can join in the convenience of their own home. Mm -hmm. They don't need to build in travel time. Mm. So before where you may have needed to get people that had to rely on public transport to make it somewhere, or you would have wanted to go for professionals. I mean, in some of our groups, we have lawyers, we have accountants mm. because they can just grab a lunch hour and mm. they can dial in and join. 
So it's actually changed the game in terms of being able to access some harder to reach mm -hmm. respondents, mm -hmm. particularly your higher income professionals who don't have the time to a travel to traditional sort of focus group type setups and spend two hours there. Mm -hmm. And traditional groups usually needed to use two hours because you were trying to draw it out of people because they weren't relaxed. They weren't mm -hmm. necessarily engaged or comfortable. Here, you only really need an hour because people are so engaged. You can get what you mm -hmm. need quickly. It works better for us, for the clients, but it also works better for the respondents. I was just going to say, and you can also, like clients can go into the environment as well mm -hmm. and participate and just sit there and observe. So it's great also for clients just to see what people are saying about their brands or products. Yep. And our clients that go into the space, they're just blown away um, because they just, they always tell us, um, Oh my goodness, you're getting so much out of this. I think for mm -hmm. that very reason, because people are so relaxed and they're so engaged, you don't have anyone wandering off. They're there with you. It's like a joint task and can also make the research really interesting. Um, uh, the space that we, that we use generally for our whole research has got like different rooms with different functionalities, which you can then customize with 3D objects or generative images, which you use for context, but also for experience. Like often when we um, test comms for her, you might put, um, you might put um, like slogans or, or wording in a passage and people will walk past. So it's an interesting additional mm -hmm. element. Typically people would just sit like and stare and now they're actually, they can move, they can interact. So I think there's a, there's a lot of interesting yep. dimensions and, and benefits. There's another technology that we're talking a lot about. Um, artificial twins, synthetic data, synthetic persona. Do you see a future where we are interviewing, you are interviewing artificial twins in the metaverse? What, what, what do you mean by interviewing digital? you are observing the behavior of artificial personas within the metaverse. Uh, yeah, I mean, that, I mean, that's interesting. I guess that's an interesting question because, you know, currently, like, people talk about synthetic data and synthetic respondents, and it's more text-based, mm. whereas the being able to synthesize actual humans moving, I mean, there's been quite a lot of done with that, with, with like, modeling in terms of, like, um, Again, like generating artificial people and looking for predictive outcomes. So like I think Google's done quite a lot of research with that. So yeah, I mean, that, that would be possible and interesting, but that's, that's, that, yeah, that's like a big, like a, you know, like a big step. Cause I think, um, just getting these environments going and getting, you know, the research fine tuned and bringing in, I think now we're at the phase where you're bringing in generative objects and images as, is, is what we're focused on, but the sort of like generating respondent behavior and synthesizing that and bringing that in the metaverse so you can talk to synthetic. Well, it's interesting, but we're not, I don't think we're there yet. <laughs> and is there anything that you're observing that you uh, were not expecting uh, to, 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 to observe otherwise in the physical world? You were talking about the, the inclusiveness that mm. it brings. Uh, is there any other... Uh, in the advantage that it brings. On the metaverse side? Yes. It's the level of engagement. So it gives you, A, you're engaging. So yes, you get better representation, better inclusivity or diversity in terms of who you actually talking to. And because you get the better engagement, you get much deeper insights. 
So I'll give you a good example. Um, we, before we went into the metaverse, we did a lot of research on beauty. And people would talk very surface level, again, going back to the fact that they weren't engaged, they didn't necessarily feel comfortable. Now you put them in an environment where they feel comfortable, it's almost like peeling the layers of an onion. They start at the surface, but then they relax and they engage and you get deeper and deeper and deeper. And it unlocks insights in terms of that purchase journey and what the barriers and the drivers are that you wouldn't have had before. So I would say because you are so much closer to an almost engaged contextual reality, the insights you're getting are far more actionable in terms of anything that we've had before. So that's just on a general level. But then when you go a bit deeper in terms of being able to test physical environments, being able to test communications and concepts in a different way, which gives you very, very fast answers in terms of what does and does not work for consumers and what do they like and what do they dislike. Now, before you would have had to do quite a few different methodologies to get to that answer. Here you can do a couple of groups in the metaverse and your turnaround is actually very quickly. So it was very quick. So you can turn it around quickly and get very fast insights in terms of what you need to develop further. What do you think is that? Why? Um, well, if you think about traditional, even if you just look at qualitative groups, you'd literally have to record it. You'd have someone transcribe it. Then you'd have to have someone go and analyze it. I mean, here again, you can use a lot of your AI tools in terms of that text, being able to extract the themes mm -hmm. and having a very fast turnaround time. So you're not looking at a project that's going to take weeks. Also remember in traditional qual, the recruitment takes a long time and you mm -hmm. often have to redo groups because mm -hmm. respondents don't show up mm -hmm. or it takes a long time to try and get the right representation of respondent to come in. Whereas in the metaverse space, you can recruit very, very quickly and you can verify very quickly. Mm -hmm. And that's why a six to eight week project you can probably do in two. I was going to say on your the synthetic respondent to jump a little bit. I mean, they are starting to do that in games now. For for non-playable characters, mm -hmm. they're giving like personalities and knowledge and mm -hmm. uh, a life history. So, like in the digital twin example, you might do it. So, if you're doing retail testing and you wanted like you like a mother and a baby walking along in a little bit more of a crowd to mm. test how things flow mm -hmm. through an environment. I, I think that would be like a, a practical application. Yeah, yeah. application. Yeah. Mm -hmm. There's definitely a strong role for artificial intelligence as well. Yeah, mm -hmm. for yeah. sure. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, already we're using, we're doing te call techniques where we co-create with consumers using generative AI, and then we create what they're describing and we bring it live into the metaverse group so they can see it and then discuss that further and then expand on that. Mm -hmm. So it's also a rapid way to to really get output that's visualized and real very fast. Um, so it's just another example of how we're using AI I was in, in say, metaverse. I'm sorry, I was going to say that it's also evolved so quickly. It's unbelievable. Like we were looking... We were doing like, you know, mid-journey generation of images when it first started and they're, they're, they're pretty average sort of things that could generate. Now, you know, it's getting close to photo quality in terms of image mm. it generates. And in the meantime, you know, you can generate 3D objects like a bottle or a, mm. a new Coke bottle and you can pick it up and turn mm. it around. You can do that now. And then, you know, you're going to be able to simulate actual um, environments very quickly just mm. by typing. And... Um, through stability AI, you can generate music now just by describing the music you want. So it's just, that's all in the space of like, you know, less than a year. So, mm -hmm. 
in terms of using these environments to do research, you know, the, the realism and things you're going to be able to mm. do and synthesize. And, you know, the respondents got an idea like this could be better if it was like this. It's like, you know, we type it in and here it is. Mm. What do you think? And, I, you know, I think um, all these things are becoming possible so fast. It's almost like AI is moving a lot faster and we yeah. can mm. utilize it for research. Yeah. It feels like it's a crime to still do something in a traditional way. <laughs> <laughs> Does that make you more concerned or more excited for the future of research? I think it makes me very excited. I think we should use AI to be creative and make research better. I think not just focus on cost and time. And in that context, what's the main role of researcher? Is it the leader of the project prompting the AI to get better results? in a more efficient manner? Um, is it co-creator together with artificial intelligence? What do you think? How do you think the role of, of the researchers will evolve in the next, let's say, three to five years? Hmm. It'll be a very different profile of person. They say, so, oh, sorry. Okay. Um, the challenge is, is that AI is still a tool and you need to put the tool in the right hands. Hmm. So you need to make sure that from a researcher point of view, the the design the creativity the you know that knowledge of true behavioral science in terms of why people say the things they do why they behave the way that they think the way that they do i think that element of research is going to be dialed up quite significantly because instead of a lot of the heavier admin tasks i mean think about it research is having to troll through transcripts and transcripts and transcripts trying to find themes they can now spend that time in terms of how to better how to better create um, environments, how to better design dialogue flows, how to better probe consumers to really get to those core insights and how to then integrate those insights and translate them in a way that will assist clients with their strategy. So a lot more of your growth frameworks, et cetera. So a lot less time and specialty is going to be needed on the physical part of the research. It's similar like accounting, right? You used to need 100 accountants. Now you need one accountant in the software program. It's a similar thing. It's a different type of skill I think researchers are going to need to have. Thank you very much. I think our time is running out. Um, is there any any other session you're following today? Uh, I think we're going to look this afternoon. We're going to spend, she's on a panel this oh. afternoon. and then What we'll... it will be about? Mm -hmm. uh, data analytics, also the AI-human connection. Oh, okay. So mm -hmm. similar to the question that you just asked. <laughs> And I think it's a topic on everyone's mind in terms of, do you still need the human element? And the answer is absolutely. I mean, this whole conference is both the art and science of innovation, right? The science is the AI, but the art will always be the human. Mm. That's a great way to, to close the episode. <laughs> Thank you very much. Thanks Thank for joining. You. Thanks. Thanks so much. Thank you.